Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Hi, good morning. The disciple at work is the disciple at work. In other words, the disciple working in the workplace is the disciple working out his own discipleship and his discipleship at work in the workplace while he works. You see, Christian discipleship happens not in the confines of the church or within the pages of the Bible, but in the rumble and tumble in the hustle and bustle and in the earthiness and messiness of our jobs and careers, mixed with life in whatever profession, with whoever God has placed around us, in whichever organization God has placed us in the marketplace. The sacred secular divide for work is created by us, not God. God is not to blame. All of life is sacred because we are sacred. Work is sacred because we make it sacred. We are sacred beings made in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of His Son and filled by the Spirit within us for the purposes of God. We are an integrated whole and we are meant to live as a whole, holistically and wholeheartedly unto God, whether in private, in a family, in the workplace and in church. Welcome. Welcome to our sermon this morning titled, The Disciple at Work. Now you might be wondering, why are we not doing Mark? Well, we're just taking a one-week break from the Mark series for this important topic, which was planned into our sermon calendar since last year. It's amazing. God's timing and plans are always perfect and just in time. Work restrictions are slowly being lifted we are gradually able to go back to work in the office. But it's not just work life going back to normal. I want to propose to you that it is work life extra normal. COVID, as horrendous and life-changing as it is, must not be wasted. God has given us the opportunity to start afresh in our workplaces. Approximately 68% of Singaporeans are in the labour force. The average Singaporean worker works 44.6 hours a week. The average Singaporean sleeps 6.9 hours a day. So on average, the Singaporean worker spends 37% of their waking hours working. For some 23% of people, it's more like over 40% of their waking hours working. Now, if we include the average lunch and commute time, the average working Singaporean spends between 45 to 50% of their waking hours working at or around and going to the workplace. These statistics, when adjusted for covenant, means that there are some 3,000 covenanters or so living out about 134,000 hours of their discipleship in their workplace, in the marketplace, a week. That's a lot. Now, not just any covenanter, you know. 
but 3,000 of Covenant's best authentic disciples and intentional disciple makers of a certain kind. So don't play play, I tell you. Okay, okay, I'm just teasing you. We are, we are all just forgiven sinners, just trying to be faithful disciples while eking out a decent living at work, right? So the questions I have for us this morning is this. What am I called to be and to do in the workplace as a Christian disciple? Second question, how am I to make sense of my calling in the marketplace? Is my Christian life in the marketplace just grit, earn a decent living, share the gospel as faithful as I can? Are there not more to my work, my career, my life? Now, I will be very naive to think that I can address all these big questions in one short 30-minute sermon. So I'm not going to. There are many good resources out there that can answer some of these questions. There is a module that the Biblical Graduate School of Theology runs called Vocation, Work and Ministry that may help you process these questions yourself. But for our short time this morning, I want to anchor my sermon on 1 Peter 2, 9 to 10. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Peter is very clear in 1 Peter 2.9. We are a chosen people. Paul is equally clear in Ephesians 4.1. We are a called people. Peter said we were once not a people of God but now we are a people belonging to God. And Paul said, we were all once Gentiles, but now we are a people of calling. You see, Christians are not just people who are saved and redeemed. Yes, of course, but much more, much more. We are chosen. We are called. We are chosen and called to a great purpose and a great task. My simple purpose in today's sermon is that I want to help us realize that each time we go back to our workplaces. We don't enter our offices just as Christians, but as disciples of our King. We carry with us three royal offices. By these three royal offices, I mean positions of God-ordained authority. Why? Because according to 1 Peter 2.9, we are, number one, priests, mediating God's presence. Two, Princes extending God's kingdom. Three, prophets proclaiming God's goodness. So, firstly, we are priests mediating God's presence. 1 Peter 2.9 says, For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. We are chosen and called to be royal priests to mediate God's presence to a world that is broken and in need of Him. The book of Hebrews is all about Jesus as the perfect great high priest sent by God his Father who mediate between a holy God and sinful man. Now, Peter says this about us. Us, not Jesus, about us. He says you, that means you and I, are royal priests. We're not just priests. We are royal 
priests. By implication, we are co-priests. We are co-priests with Jesus Christ with a similar calling to mediate between a holy God and sinful people. What do priests do? Priests stand in the great spiritual gap between God and man. Priests mediate God's presence to man by bringing God's compassion to others, God's touch to others, God's healing to others, God's peace, God's shalom to others, God's joy to others, and God's hope to others. Priests do that by bringing people before God, interceding for mercy, for salvation, for justice in the midst of a broken world. And you will agree with me probably that we live in a very broken world. See, when we think of brokenness in the world, we think of disasters, sickness, wars, or social unrest across the world and we are living through it right now. Right now, unprecedented in our history. But God looked beyond these and see men's sinfulness and fallenness that has defaced and dehumanized the God image and God likeness that He created us with. God sees much beyond the superficial brokenness, painful as it is. You see, priests mediates God's presence to men by being human. Priests are called to be human by embodying Jesus, the ultimate human. We embody Jesus by how we talk, how we walk, live, work, play, and love. Priests do this by praying for people, by listening to people, by encouraging people, by warning people, by being accessible to people. Priests bring the people God placed in our path, in our workplace, to our perfect great high priest who intercedes for us all at the right hand of God. According to Romans 8.34, Hey, pastor, where in the Bible do you find all these things that you just said, man? Well, do you remember the great commandment? Do you remember what Jesus said to the lawyer Pharisee in Matthew 22, 37 to 40? And I read this in the New American Standard Bible. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And then Jesus went on to say, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he made the penultimate statement, so jarring to the people of the time. And he said this, on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now, if I may rephrase this last statement that Jesus made for our contemporary modern day context, it may sound like this. On these two commandments depend your whole discipleship. Discipleship is not about laws and, and all the do's and don'ts and looking good in church, no. Our royal office of priesthood is to love God and in loving God, to love our neighbours. In loving our neighbours, we love God. See, our neighbours are our colleagues and bosses in our workplaces and customers and suppliers and associates in our marketplace. Whether we like them or not, and I know some of them are very hard to like. You know, late last year, I was invited back to the Christian Fellowship in Microsoft, my former employer. I was 
very pleasantly surprised to see how the, the fellowship had grown over the years. I, I am not referring just to size, but I'm referring to the depth and the fervor. As I listen to their leaders share their hearts for this ministry that they are in, in this place called Microsoft that they all work in, trying to eke out a living, what I saw and what I heard was a bunch of Christians from different streams, different denominations who love their Lord. And unknowingly, they stepped into the gap and stood as royal priests on behalf of their pre-believing colleagues, bosses, and their entirely secular company. Trust me, Microsoft is a very secular company. What do they do weekly? Well, of course, they get together. They, as Christians, they encourage one another. But they stood in a gap and they interceded for their workplace. They are regular professionals like you and what I used to be. But they saw it as their extra normal calling to minister as priests, princes, and prophets in very tangible, practical, and in a collective way in the workplace that God has placed them. I saw their discipleship at work because they saw their work as their discipleship. The disciple at work is the disciple at work. I saw the great commandment being lived out in simple, imperfect, practical ways. Secondly, we are princes extending God's kingdom. You know, we see cars on the road all the time with some Christian decals or some symbols of the cross on their dashboard. But then, we shake our heads when we see how they drive, right? Not all, but some. Either some drive like some F1 driver speeding like nobody's business or as if they are ambulances who have to right away all the time. Or they drive at 70 km per hour on the rightmost lane on the highway. You know, I confess, I'm one of those who refuse to put any Christian decals or symbols in my car in case my driving stumble other drivers. I always justify myself. My car is clean. No one can say that I stumble anybody, you know? Well, it's like that for some. Some of us, when we step into our work offices, isn't it? We don't wear any Christian decals, metaphorically speaking, for fear that others will know that we are Christians. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, right? It says, You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. God has such a high view of you and I that He called us His very own possession. Just bring it down to earth, okay? Just bring it down to earth. Assuming, assuming our prime minister calling you His very own possession. Wow, I'm just talking about how, what an honour, what a privilege that would be, isn't it? So special a possession, He called us sons and daughters throughout the Gospels and the Epistles. We are made in God's own image and likeness, Genesis tells us. God adopted us as His children. And if we are God's children, then we are heirs of God. And if we are heirs of God, co-heirs with our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Can you beat that? Can you beat that? So remember, when you step into the workplaces as disciples of Christ, we occupy not only the fiscal officers that have been assigned to us, 
but we have two more spiritual officers as royal priests and princes. A princely office presumes a kingdom. And who is this king? Jesus is king. We are princes serving a risen king and a soon-to-be-returning king who's coming back, right? What is this kingdom known for? This kingdom shall be known for peace, justice, and righteousness according to Isaiah 9-7. This means three key qualities must define how we do our work, carry ourselves and relate with others as disciples at work who extend God's kingdom. Number one, shalom. Shalom is translated as peace in the English Bible, but it encompasses the qualities of harmony, welfare, prosperity, friendship, safety. Second quality, mishpat, translated from Hebrew as justice, but encompasses the qualities of equity, wisdom and judgment, freedom from self-interest and deception. Thirdly, sadaqah, translated as righteousness, but encompasses the qualities of moral and ethical rectitude, truthfulness, and objectivity. Wow. In other words, a Christian disciple at work. No, no, no. The extra normal Christian disciple at work ought to be excellent, diligent, performing, peaceable, straightforward, truthful, wise marketplace professionals and workers. Isn't it? We have to extend God's kingdom. You know, let me tell you a story of myself in a marketplace. Many, many years ago, based on corporate orders coming from uh, headquarters, I had to right-size the department I was leading in a former company. You see, right-sizing is a sophisticated corporate jargon for retrenchment or forced removal of employees especially lower-performing employees. It was really hard. It was really hard. The company may dictate the orders, but they don't dictate how I behave. They don't dictate how I carry out my work and how I treat others. See, that's my responsibility as a prince. As a prince that's placed in the, in the, in the place where I'm placed to extend God's rule. I remember several very tough conversations. It broke my heart. It broke my heart because these are not just my staff. They are friends. You know, we are still friends after all these years. We are still friends. In fact, as far as I can remember, every single one of them kept me informed when they found a job. Can you be that? I'm so honoured. They did not have to, but they did. You see, life in a workplace is often ambiguous, complex, challenging. Challenging to decide what's right and wrong. We have to live with the things that we have to do. But our call is clear. We are princes extending God's kingdom of peace, of justice, and righteousness. In Genesis, God did not just make men in His own image and left them to play in the Garden of Eden. No, He put them to work immediately saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, cultivate it, 
and keep it. From day one, God made men for work. And the work is that of filling and governing and of cultivating and keeping the earth for God's glory. That was man's original mandate at creation. But it was to be completely co-creative work with God. God created us to co-create with Him. Jesus called us to be salt of the earth and light of the world. As disciples, we are to be like salt, to preserve the earth and as light, as a source for hope. Jesus is calling us back to our original mandate, our original mandate of preserving the world and pointing her to God's glory. That's our great cultural mandate. Not pop culture, but our great cultural mandate of preserving God's world and pointing her to God. See, we live in a morally corrupt and ethically deficit world driven by self-interest and greed at all levels of society across all countries and ethnicity. The Straits Times reported this week that global banks helped to move and laundered some two trillion US dollars in illicit funds despite warnings by the US government. And some of these are Singapore-based banks who handled about six billion dollars of these suspicious transactions. More than ever, we must rise up to our calling and cultural mandate as princes, disciples who are princes extending God's kingdom of grace and godliness to preserve God's will and to point her to God and His glory. My third and last point is that we are prophets proclaiming God's goodness. Our office in the workplace is not merely a physical office or an economic office. We've got to view our calling and our vocation in the workplace much higher, much greater and much deeper than that. God has a tremendously high view of us as His children. Our spiritual offices in the workplace are as priests mediating God's presence to bosses, colleagues, associates, customers and suppliers around us. As princes, extending God's kingdom into the marketplace and society that God has placed us with our great cultural mandate. And finally, as prophets, proclaiming God's goodness to a marketplace and society that does not know God. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You are thinking of prophets who live in caves, dress in sheepskins and eat wild honey with long unkempt beard and hair. And long hair, right? You are thinking of prophets who pronounce doom and gloom that nobody likes and who die terrible deaths. No lah, I'm not referring to that kind of prophets. I'm referring to the kind that proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvellous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 in the New American Standard Version. See, the great commission that, that Jesus talked about, Peter was talking about that commission in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, where Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. See, but Peter's point comes from a different angle. Peter's point is that the source of our motivation and impetus for the great commission is that of our gratitude. Our gratitude as a people who were once not a people, who once did not receive mercy, but now do. 
you know, God really doesn't want unwilling sour grapes to go out and make more sour grapes in our workplace. Lah. I think if he sees our long sour grape faces uh, when it comes to personal evangelism, uh, instead of telling us to go and make disciples, uh, he'll tell us, go home and make lemonades and go home and mop the floor with our long faces. Lah. You know, a lot of time, uh, we got it all wrong when it comes to personal evangelism. I, I know I got it wrong for a long time as a Christian. Most of the time, it was out of fear and lack of courage more than anything else in sharing the gospel, isn't it? See, but the Christian disciple at work ought to be among the most grateful and joyful workers in the workplace. You know, John Newton wrote the hymn Amazing Grace and he beautifully declared this in the hymn when he said, We were once lost, but now we are found. We were once blind, but now we see. You know, Newton wrote this. He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's John Newton, a former hardened slave trader. Our testimony and our witness stem simply from the same source of gratitude and joy as Newton. Disciples at work are prophets declaring the goodness of God with their lives and with their lips out of a grateful heart, out of an overflowing thankfulness. Out of that comes the only living and walking gospel which non-Christians will ever read because they will not read the other four gospels in the Bible. Where did this term marketplace ministry come from? It came from Paul's ministry in the marketplace in Acts Chapter 17, Paul was a tent maker by trade. We know that in Acts 18.3. We can learn quite a bit from Paul's example. In Acts 17, verses 16 to 34, how he proclaimed God and His goodness. Without going into a detail, you know, which will really take another whole sermon at least, Paul did four things. He observed and understood, the first thing, eh, understood the surroundings of his marketplace. He was working in the marketplace. He mixed with the people in the marketplace. Number two, he listened to the people in the marketplace. Thirdly, he shared God's truth simply, simply in their marketplace language. And then fourthly, he win who he can win to the gospel and he live and let live the rest to God. That's what Paul did as a marketplace tent maker. That was his profession. That was his ministry. See, there's something similar in Covenant, isn't it? It is called a PDA lifestyle, right? Personal revival, divine appointment, active obedience. A PDA lifestyle and blessed strategy. Begin with prayer. Listen to our friends, our colleagues, right? Eat together with them. Serve them. And share, share your story, share your testimony, and you get a chance to share the gospel with them. You can apply this in a workplace. That's how we proclaim God's goodness in the marketplace. I want to end by sharing two stories with you of covenanters proclaiming God's truth and goodness wherever God placed them in a marketplace. The first one is a covenanter who used to work in a Changi business park with an American multinational. 
He was not the pioneer of, uh, of the marketplace ministry uh, that he was part of. Uh, but he shared the same burden and calling as his predecessor who had to, to leave. And he took over leadership of that ministry. While he was there in Changi, together with a bunch of other like-minded Christians working in different companies in the vicinity, they organized a marketplace ministry focused on outreach. Every week, they would meet to share and pray. Monthly, they would organize all kinds of creative evangelistic outreaches to the non-believing colleagues in the Changi Business Park. They would host seminars with former Christian captains of the industry so that these captains of industry would speak with some credibility and in the same lingo as their pre-believing listeners. They would organize apologetics events or they would organize evangelistic alpha series for outreach. And you know what? Most of the time, they paid for all the expenses for the venue that they have to rent. They paid it all out of their own pockets. This covenanter later had to move. I still with the same company, but had to move to Maple Tree Business Park on the other side of the island in Pasir Panjang. And so had to leave that ministry in Changi. But you know what? It did not take him long to link up with other covenanters and other like-minded Christians who are also in the IT industry in that vicinity. And together, they led a marketplace ministry for IT companies around the area and again focused on outreach. Marketplace ministries really not about the work of the ministry, but it's really about the ministers at work and the ministers of the work of marketplace outreach. Because marketplace ministry is not defined by the work itself. Rather, the ministry goes wherever the marketplace priest, prince, and prophet goes. Wherever these extra normal disciples at work go, they go as priests, prince, and prophets. Because marketplace ministry is all about the disciple. No, no, no. The extra normal disciple at work. Another story. This time, another covenanter who used to worship in our Bukit Panjang Centre. We are very sad when we heard. I do not know him personally, but he passed away very recently. He was only in his early 40s. And he was a part of the executive management team in one of Singapore's statutory boards. By all counts, he was a successful Christian professional in the marketplace. But that was not what caught my attention. It was how he shared God's goodness with the people around him, even if most of them were not believers. Even though he was a senior leader in the organization, he was not afraid. He was not afraid to be himself, to be who he was, to be a disciple at work, to be a priest, a prince, and a prophet of his great God. We hear the testimony of how during the circuit breaker, he would share with his colleagues about God from Covenant's a sermon series called Thriving Through the Storm. Do you remember that series? Well, he listened to it and, and he brought that back to his colleagues. Even though his boss is his boss, huh? even though his boss is steeped in another religious faith, he took whatever opportunity that he had to share with him. Nevertheless, what he learned from the sermon series and how God is for him. You know, at his memorial, at his wake service, not only did his boss show up to pay his respect, two other cabinet ministers 
showed up in person as well. But what shined forth from this person's life and witness was not the VIPs who showed up, but it was when his boss recalled a verse and shared a verse during this memorial that he remembered how this person shared with him during the circuit breaker. This covenanter was a priest, a prince, a prophet for God at his workplace while he was alive. Well, I want to bring our sermon to a close this morning. Disciples at work are priests mediating God's presence to those around him at the workplace. They are princes extending God's kingdom into the marketplace. And they are prophets proclaiming God's goodness out of a deep sense of gratitude and joy in all occasions. As I conclude my sermon, I just have one simple question for us to respond to. Are you a disciple at work? Or are you just a Christian going to work? You don't just have a physical or economic office, the workplace. Work becomes sacred when we bring our three sacred and God-ordained offices of royal priesthood, princely royalty, and prophetic unction with us wherever God has placed us. That's what going to work makes us extra normal Christian disciples at work. If your response to my question is, yes, yes, Lord, help me. Help make me a disciple at work. Then I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Will you take a moment now? Will you close your eyes? Will you place your hand on your heart so that I may pray for you? Shall we do that? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for that we were once not a people, but now we are people of God. We once did not receive mercy, but now we do. And not only that, you called us your children. You called us your sons and daughters. You made us priests, royal priests, princes and prophets. We are called. We are chosen. So I pray, dear Lord, for myself, for my fellow brothers and sisters who are listening in to this sermon, that Lord, you would lead them each day as they enter the office into their physical and economic work offices or even via Zoom, they enter with a royal priestly presence, a princely calling and a prophetic unction to bring you into the workplace. Thank you, dear Lord, for we pray all these in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to the sermon. I hope it blessed you. I have two questions for you to reflect upon either in your family or in your, in your small groups. Number one, what ideas or truths preached in the sermon resonate with you and what does not and why? Second question is this, if you are working adults, how may you be a disciple at work who mediates God's presence extend God's kingdom and proclaim God's goodness. Actually, this question is meant for everyone because it applies to all of us wherever God has placed us. Well, I hope you have a good time with your discussion. Come, shall we all raise our hands to the Lord and as I pray the benediction for us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Lord, the Lord bless you as you consider how you may be priest, prince and prophet in Christ and for Christ in the week ahead of you. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.